Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with J.J. Cooper, I am John Manuel, coming to you from our world headquarters here in Durham, North Carolina, and Thanking you so much for the download, whether it's on iTunes or BaseballAmerica.com or however you get your Baseball America podcast. I was going to say, I'm an Android now. So. That's right. So no, we have many ways to get Double the twist. podcast, and we really appreciate you uh, finding our podcast, and we hope you enjoy it. If you have feedback for us, of course, you can send that to us at podcast at BaseballAmerica.com. We're sponsored by MLB Network, which obviously we were very excited to be part of the draft coverage again back in June, and uh, excited for them to sponsor all of our podcasts here at Baseball America. JJ, uh, so much has been going on the last couple of weeks. Uh, we've really got into full minor league prospect mode. Everybody in the magazine has. Um, we as we welcome some of y'all back. It's that's like right. you know, okay, now the draft's done. You know, hey John, hey Connor, that's hey right. Nathan. You know, hey Fitzy. Let's kind of you know, come on. It's kind of but, but I mean, there's so much news happening just in the last couple of weeks. You went to the Carolina League, California League All Star Game. I was able to go to the Futures Game. Uh, we've got USA Baseball uh, with all their youth teams that have been uh, the youth, the 16U, the 18U, uh, now a college national team. We just had big news on the uh, big, second game of bad, the summer. Big bad news. Big bad news for te- uh, USA college national team with Anthony Rendon, who really, in my mind, was the number one prospect of the 2011 draft, going down with a broken leg, and uh, we'll get the real extent of that broken ankle as he has surgery and just see just how long he's going to be out. But he's injured the same right ankle two years in a row, last year sprained ligaments in the leg and the ankle, and now this year a broken ankle. So just not good news there. But we've had our midseason prospect update. We had the Futures game, uh, and we have the trade deadline looming. So we're going to tackle a little bit of all that on today's Baseball America podcast. So first, J.J., uh, welcome in. And, you know, why don't we just talk a little bit, we're off the top about impressions of the Futures game. You've talked to scouts who were there. I was there. I've talked to scouts who were there. Um, it's always a showcase this year's game was pretty lopsided, but I think it had, the score reflected how lopsided the talent was. The U.S. team, I think, was really where the where the talent was at in this year's Futures game as opposed to the World team, which had some prospects, but just not nearly the star power. And and, and the thing that we've heard from, from multiple scouts is, is kind of what we were hearing when we were putting together our midseason top 25 and, you know, and, and, and beyond. Yeah. Is that, hey, you know, what everyone kind of thinks, the talent's just, a, you know, this is the thinnest part of the year talent-wise usually because we're waiting for the 2010 first-round picks to sign. Right. Most of them haven't. But we've seen so much go up to the big leagues that we're kind of seeing a little bit of a lull like we did, say, in mid, you know, June of 2008, maybe right. would be another way to put it. Because right. we saw we had that wave of the, the class. You know, the the 05 out- draft guys, yep. They were all up at that point. And once they went up, you look around and go, hmm, not as much here as there has been in you know in recent years. And uh, Scout made the same ama- analogy to me and said, like you know, t- t- 2008 draft is basically uh, most of the top guys from that draft have already gone to the big leagues, and that's a reason why uh, the talent in the minors seems a little thin. So you know, you get uh, it you know, comes in waves. It does. It does. It's, it, it ebbs and flows. There's no doubt. No, and, that doesn't mean there wasn't prospects who stood out at the game or right. anything like that but it does mean like that you didn't see guy after guy wowing scouts like you may have had in some other years especially a couple of years it seems like it seems like most years in the futures game 
there are some world pitchers that just come out there and just blow cheddar. You know, just throw really, really hard. You had guys blowing cheddar, but they also didn't sometimes know where it was going. And that was until the end, really. Juris Familia was the hardest thrower. He was and the last was guy who threw for the world team, and he wasn't not really impressive. impressive. Julio Tehran threw hard. I didn't think he threw particularly well. He walked the first two hitters he faced. I mean, it doesn't mean that I'm, would, it doesn't mean I'm walking away from Julio right, Tehran. I'm would, not impressed. He was better. I got to see him in the Carolina Cal League All-Star game. He was better in that game than he was in the Futures game. Right. I mean, he, he still he has the body. He showed you the arm strength. He showed you the delivery. He showed you the stuff. But he didn't throw strikes. And, you know, he was a high-age teenager. Which is relatively rare for him. Is the interesting thing is, is that he's usually better about that than he was in that game. Now, right. that doesn't mean I'm not saying he has, you know, major league command or anything. Sure, but sure. But that was, that was the surprising. Uh, to yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't at his best is all. That, that, that's, that's the only point I'm trying to make. Simone Castro was Definitely not at his best. Definitely not at his best. The only, though, the world pitcher who impressed me the most, honestly, was Alex Torres. I uh, just had never seen him before. Talked to scouts about him, the the Rays left-hander, another Rays pitching prospect. Yeah, they needed some more of those. That's amazing. Uh, you know, it is it is surprising um, just how pitching rich the Rays are. I mean, I guess I shouldn't be surprised by it by now, but I mean, wow, they just have they have pitching prospects. I mean, two of the best pitchers in that game were Alex Torres and Jeremy Hellickson. You know, there's and, no doubt about it. The reality of it is, is that we we'll have a, we'll have a scout feed going up on Jerry Hel- Jeremy Hellickson very shortly, and you know it, we hear this from multiple scouts. He's a big league ready pitcher. There's yeah. just not any there's the <laughs> it's hard to imagine when people talk about the dearth of pitching, you know, that people always talk about that. that right. That, that there is a – that you're talking about a guy, oh, you know, guys get rushed to the big leagues now. In Jeremy Hellickson's case, he's not just not being rushed. He's being stored. Yeah, he is being. He is in storage. He is, here he is a We're break lucky. in case of, you know, injury in the big leagues and yep. until that happens, which is fascinating to see. It's not just that he's ready. Usually in that kind of case, you'd be like, okay, well, he's going to be coming up in the mid second half of the season, and he'll make an impact in the pennant race, right. potentially. Right. In his case, he's probably, you know, barring injury or trade, he's not coming up in the second half of the season. Yeah, no, you, you really look at the Rays. I know that Wade Davis, there's some Rays fans who are anxious about Wade Davis. He's been about what the average, or maybe a little bit above average, fifth starter is this year. That's right. kind of what he's been. Could Jeremy Hellickson do better? Maybe. I don't think I, I it's think, certain. I don't think it's certain. I think you could say he could, especially because you could say, hey, if you are if you come to August and you're building your plan for the playoffs, right. Wade Davis isn't going to be in the playoff rotation. At I don't that think point, Jeremy Hellickson is either. Jeremy Hellickson is neither. But you, you could bring Hellickson up, say, you know what, you're going to be our fifth starter for the final month and a half of the season. We're going to keep Davis's innings down a little bit by doing right. this too. And we're going to move Davis to the pen. Where Davis, almost. as a 6th, 7th inning guy, is essentially the right-handed David Price role from a couple of years That's ago. It. I mean, Wade Davis is mostly a two-pitch guy now anyway. Right, so, so you just say, okay, you know what, here's your two pitches, and go to work. I like that plan. It's a good plan. I hope the Rays are listening to the Baseball America podcast with John and J.J. The other part of that factor for me, uh, for the Rays, is yeah, the Rays still don't have necessarily a, a, a set. They need a, they need a big bat, in my opinion. Uh, I think we agree on that. And, you know, they they – because of Ben Zobris, they're very flexible, and they don't really have a set DH, and they don't really have a set right fielder because they can play Zobris at second. I saw Zobris play first the other day, and Carlos Pena's having another one of those years where he swings and misses a ton. He's hitting 203. I mean, granted, he walks a lot, and he's still hitting for power. But they need a, they, in my mind, they need a big bat, um, and it would fit kind of anywhere on their team thanks to you know, Ben Zobra's versatility. So they could go out and try to trade for Dan Ugla, who's a bopper who plays second base. He plays it poorly, but he plays it. They could go out, you know, if, if Big Jim, if Jim Tomey were available, he seemed like a great fit for them, a DH in the Miller lineup. Adam Dunn. Adam Dunn seemed like a great fit. I don't see a fit necessarily in the right fielders, unless maybe you're talking about like a Corey Hart, if he were available. But he might be available. But even he's not a bopper in my mind. He's good, but he's Top not. Top ten in the, ma- in the majors in home runs this year. This but year, right, yeah. But, yeah, but you don't normally. He's another guy who swings and like, misses a lot. Same, yeah, you don't want to go too much on that. Like, Alex Gonzalez may be, um, you know, a, a bopper this year. You right. Know, but the Bra- if the Braves are acquiring Alex Gonzalez thinking that he's going to hit 17 more home runs over the second half of the season, yeah. Something's I, I do in the think wa- there's a pretty good chance they'll be disappointed. Something's in the water in Toronto because Jose Batista is another guy here. Jose Batista is almost like this year's Ben Zobrist. You know, no one could believe Ben Zobrist last year. Batista is similarly versatile, 
and having a similar offensive year to, to, to Zobers last year. But uh, I wouldn't trade – the point I'm getting to is I wouldn't trade Jeremy Hellickson for any of those guys. Not no, right I don't now. Think, I, and I don't think – Would you? No, I don't think you trade Hellickson if you're the the Rays as part of any of He's these almost deals. like too good to be a trade If ship. you trade if you're the Rays, you're trading someone who's – I mean, look, you've got payroll issues coming up. You're not trading the guy who's going to make 300-something thousand for the next couple of years. You're trading, you know, James Shields. I mean, yeah, I you got I don't think so. You got to give up. You got to get give up something to get something. But you're trading. To my mind, you're trading one of your other prospects if you can. Or you're saying, oh, hey, you see got, this little shiny other, Andy Sonnenstein over but, here. But what I'm saying, he won 13 games one year. <laughs> I, yeah, but I'm saying if you're talking about you're making a significant deal where you right. would be talking about trading Jeremy Hellickson, I, if that's the case and you're not trading Desmond Jennings, which I don't think you are, right? Then maybe you can't. Maybe you're not going prospects. Maybe you're going someone you know who still. At the, what I'm saying is, is I would rather trade someone in their current rotation, they take the David Price of the huh. world out of it, rather than Jeremy Hellickson, just because I do think that Hellickson is, we've talked about, is about as safe a bet as there is among you know minor league pitchers. Right. I'd rather trade one of their guys like the Alex Colomays or uh, Jacob McGee's or oh, one of those guys or Matt yeah, Moore, those kind of guys. But those are the guys who I think they, they have. But they don't have the trade value that, no, the, no, no one has the Hellickson trade right. value, but I think they, they, you know, and probably no one has even, none of them have James Shields trade value, but boy. I, I was going to say, if you can call Ruben tomorrow up and say, hey, say, is Lee available, I think you could piece that together and, uh, <laughs> and and have that work out. I think if James Shields hit the market, teams would be all over James Shields. Oh, they're I'm not just, saying, I, just, and I'm not saying you do even trade James Shields. I'm right, just saying I'm saying, that, you, I hear you, you're saying you could, you'd almost rather trade him than Jeremy right. Hellickson. I, I think that Jeremy Hellickson over the next five years when you work in the salary, especially considering the Rays, yeah. if this is the Yankees, we're not talking about salary. Right. The Rays, <laughs> right. we're talking about salary because even though they've locked up Longoria and all, the Rays are going to be bumping up against, they're going to be having to jettison pieces along the way. Yeah, they obviously have the Pena. Well, that, that kind of has worked itself out. But Carl right. Crawford, they clearly have to keep Carl Crawford. They like and to keep Carl Crawford. Down the road, you know, David Price down the road a couple of years, you're going to have to go, oh, we got to start, you know, figuring out how to pay him. Those kind of things. Yes. Are come, Matt Garza, you know, those issues are going to come up. I would rather get rid of someone who's going to be expensive sooner yeah. to keep Hellickson who will be expensive later. I agree. That's a great point. I think you made your point well. It's a Baseball America podcast. Uh, JJ, who, you know, with the trade deadline coming up, we've already had the biggest piece are yeah, already Cliff traded in Cliff Lee. Piece, yeah. There's not going to be any better players than Cliff Lee traded, it doesn't seem like. It would not be shocking this. if it is. I mean, there, there aren't many players that you could propose – that Abaldo, are better than Abaldo Jimenez is not being traded. Yeah, I don't think I don't think so. I don't think Felix Hernandez is getting traded. Right. The Once you get past that, it's going to be a pretty short list before you start running out of guys who you could say are better than Cliff Lee yeah, as far so, as trade value. So who? I mean, which of the teams I guess uh, that are contending um, that are best positioned in terms of prospects to make a deal if they need to go out and get a big league player? Like I'm thinking, for example. An organization like uh, – well, you know they're going to be active because they almost got Cliff Lee, but the Yankees. You know, the Yankees were clearly willing to part with Jesus Montero in that trade. And, and I can see and, why they would. It absolutely makes sense because Cliff Lee is Cliff Lee. Right. And that, you know, hey, <laughs> the Yankees operate on a different plane than everyone else. Right. That acquiring Cliff Lee largely so you wouldn't have to face Cliff Lee in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, nobody else has that luxury. Is a luxury that the Yankees can, can, you know, can undergo. Like, it's not like you could really have argued that the Yankees needed Cliff Lee because if you look at their playoff rotation otherwise, you know, it just doesn't piece together. Yeah, how they got is uh, you know, the fifth starter. Yeah, they just don't have a front-end guy, you know. To, well, yeah, they have several. You know, exactly. But, but what it does mean, though, yeah, if there is a if there is a hole out there, they've made it clear, hey, Zeus Montero is – going to be as good a trade chip as is going to be out there prospect-wise. I mean, yeah, there is no... I, I think you know, you're I right. Mean, we, we are talking about when we did our mid-season. I know he's not having the greatest year this year, but... I think it's a fair I way mean, to put the, it. Though. The guys who are in our top 10 of our mid-season top 25, guys who are still in the minors, Dominic Brown, yeah, he's not traded. being traded. If he's not getting traded by now, he's not getting right. traded. You've waited this long, you're going to hold on to him. You know, Jason Worth may be traded, and you can you know put Dom Brown in there maybe right. or something, but not. You know, but Mike Trout's not getting traded. Mike Trout's not getting traded. Devin Jennings, Jennings and Jeremy Hellickson are not getting, getting traded. traded. Jesus Montero, he could be traded yeah, if I mean, the right deal came along. And the six to ten were Julio Tehran, uh, uh, Dustin Ackley, Martin Perez, Aaron Hicks, and Zach Britton. The next most likely guy there is probably Aaron Hicks. 
Yeah, because you could see a, a trade where it's like the Twins, you look at it and it's like, okay, they have a couple of good trade pieces. I mean, Wilson Ramos. He's lost some value this year. Too, better off if Wilson Ramos had come up to the big leagues, had that week he had the big leagues, and then pulled a hammy. Right, right. He'd have, you know, he'd, they'd have been better off than sending him back down. And, and I, look, I will say that when I was doing the midseason prospect rankings, I, mean, I ended up talking to like seven people, and you know, several of those were just guys who had like local coverage, but four of them had pretty national coverage. <clears throat> Excuse me. All those guys still thought that yeah. Wilson Ramos had pretty significant value. I, I don't, when yeah, I asked I don't, for best, I mean, like, oh, I just saw like even in our org report, it had it most most disappointing. I know he's not hitting this year, but there's not a lot of catchers in the minor leagues, and he's still one of the better catchers of the minor leagues. Oh, and, and not, in fact, he's probably the he's best. Probably catcher the, of the best minor catcher leagues. in the minor leagues. I mean, yeah. like we, neither of us, we, the people we've talked to, we, it's hard to find someone who, who's, you know. Jesus Montero qualifies as guy who puts on chest protector. That's right. That's but right. he doesn't qualify as catching prospect. He's as much of a catcher as Ryan Garko was coming out of college. Everyone knew that, yeah, you could play him back there, the, but the, he's an emergency the, option the more than a regular option. I always come option. back to is Carlos Delgado. It's like yeah. when the Blue Jays had Delgado and he was coming up, it was one of those things where even when he was in the minors, I mean, it was like, yeah, he's just not going to do this long term. Right, right. And – it would have been foolish long-term to have, I mean, because his bat was ready. Yeah, Canerco, and Canerco is another guy who's similarly lead-footed, similarly right-handed hitting, and similarly successful offensively in his career. But if you took what Paul Canerco does at first base and put it behind the plate, you'd had a Mike Piazza. I mean, but obviously right, he can't do that. Is, is that he couldn't even play third base. He couldn't play left field. Right, well, He's anchored to first base from a young age, and, you know, that's not – that's not but, a bad thing. He's, and, and he's, guess, had a, he's had a 10 to 12 to 15 year career doing that. And Paul Canerco was a minor league player of the year for us, and I believe he was, a, he was our number one prospect back in 1997. If he wasn't number one, he was number two with Ben Greve. Those were the top two guys. So Jesus Montero, to me, is very similar to Paul Canerco, and he could have a very similar career. Um, that that makes what? him a valuable trade chip. So but, the Yankees also have had other guys make strides uh, this year, J.J., whether it's Hector Noesi in the Futures game. game. You know, he was just as advertised in the Futures game. Good live fastball with sink and average to plus velocity. Uh, flash a decent changeup. Not much of a breaking ball. That's what he is. That's a, probably a back of the rotation profile. But, you know, he's doing it in double A. Uh, he's probably close to ready for the big leagues. They have other guys who have made some strides this year. That Dylan Batances is, you know, hey, you, you have Absolutely. very little trade value at the start of the year because teams are going to, hey, i got to see if he's healthy. Well, now he's come back. He's having a good year. He's showing, you know, the plus stuff again. That's not That's the value of Montero, but that is something, you know, those kind of guys are, you know. It's seven starts, but it's seven really nice starts. And then, you know, you're talking about a guy like a Brandon Laird, who really was an extra guy coming into this year, but has pro- played his way into being, I think, a trade chip. I mean, he's not a guy you build a trade around, but he's a guy you get in the trade because he does have power. He's doing it at the double-A level. The, the, you asked the question, so who do you think has the pieces? The team, I think, has the pieces, and we saw yesterday is going to, you know, everything is focused on getting Bobby one more ring Yeah, is the Braves. Great point. And the Braves have the pieces. They may not have the position players necessarily. They've got, you know, I don't think, you know, I don't think Freddie Freeman's going anywhere. Right. You know, but, but they have the pitching depth. But the pitching the depth is such – Let's say that the Julio Tehran, Julio Tehran is off the table. Right. Let's say that, you know, okay, let's even say if you want that Aroidas Vizcaino, who's probably not got a whole lot of value right now because you want to see him pitch again. But sure, if you want to say he's off the table too, sure. Yeah, say I'll those two it. are off the table. Well, then you say if, you, if you're trying to swing a trade and the team says, hey, we want young pitching, you've got Mike Miner, Randall Delgado, um, uh, J.J. Hoover. Right. Uh, and then you could keep going. I mean, yeah, you could keep going if you want to. Uh, Craig Kimbrell, if you want a reliever. Mike Dunn, if you want. I mean, if you, uh, Mike Dunn, I we've both you've seen him a lot this yeah, year. Yeah, and I like him. And y- it would not be shocking to say that he could come up in the second half of the year and be a, a power. I mean, a, a an impact power arm out of the pen. Absolutely, absolutely. No, then they they have pitching depth. You mentioned some of the big the the, the big heavy hitters in, in terms of their pitching depth. I mean, they've got lower level guys as well. And they have some breakout guys. I mean, Stephen Merrick is not a oh, breakout yeah. guy. He's had a nice year in double-A. And, and then the, the, the breakout of all breakouts the breakout. for the Braves organization is Brandon Beachy. Not I just mean. the Braves organization. If you say who has come further than anyone this year. He's one of the guys who's come further from, like, non-factor as a prospect to, like, people inside and outside the organization are like, wow, this guy is legit. Right. I mean, he's got two-plus pitches and the makings of a changeup 
and he's shown mid-90s velocity as a reliever. And he's shown and athleticism. He's shown, he's shown athleticism. And he's shown field pitching, which feels a starter. And he's, not, and he's not a long-term pitcher. This guy's a conversion guy. Undrafted free agent. Out of a NAIA school in Indiana, which is just unreal. A great summer followed by a Braves area scout. Right. And, you know, but so, and we're talking, we've talked to scouts, you know, we both talked to scouts outside of the, the Braves organization. Yeah. We're like, man, this guy's something. Yeah, like the agent alerted me to, hey, this guy's having a pretty good year. And then I ran the agent scouting report by a pro scout, and he was like, I saw better than that. <laughs> you know, and usually you think the agent's going to sell you high. The agent sold us low on Brandon Beachy. Then you talked to another scout. credit to the agent because you is. often, you know, usually, I mean, you know, you get a report from the agent, you just say, okay, let's lop a couple of miles an hour off that. Absolutely. He was be trying to be accurate. Absolutely. So, and this guy's performance has just been unreal. I mean, just a tremendous performance. So, it's uh, icon sports. I need to give uh, I need to give credit to Rob Martin where credit's due, but I mean Brandon Beachy. Uh, you know when you hear a guy throwing 95 miles an hour, you know, sitting 90-94 as a starter with a hammer curveball, and, and then you put the scouting information together with the numbers, and you get pretty excited. Right, and it's no, it, and and the thing about it is is that they have enough. Like if they traded away two pitchers in a deal. It's one of those things where, well, that's you know, that's okay. You know? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. They'll, they'll be okay. They're, they've got the pitching depth to, to that survive a, that. There was a name we missed on our stock up that I wish I'd had. Uh, you know, I right. had I didn't have the scouting info yet. I just had the agent info, so I didn't stick them in stock up. But uh, you know, I guess there are other organizations, JJ, that are obviously going to make some that you feel like you're going to make some deals. I mean, you do the Reds every year. The Reds are contending this year. It seems Reds, like the Reds have the depth to make a deal if if the pr- opportunity presents itself for Wal Jockety. The interesting thing with the Reds is that they're in a situation. I mean, it's not the Rays situation where they have five starters and you go, "Wow!" You yeah, know, they don't have those, it coming out of their ears. Right. It's not like you say Jeremy Hellickson's sitting at AAA and he's right now better than what? I mean, he's probably Jeremy Hellickson's legitimately. I know it's hard to say when you make guys make the jump to big leagues, but. There are probably at least 35, 40 starters who are getting regular starts in the big leagues who you'd say, who teams you, would say, I would rather have Hellickson make it. I'll tell you what, he's, put it this way, he's better than Nick Blackburn. <laughs> yeah, uh, John Manuel Pace. He's, he's better than uh, Kevin Slowey. He's better than half a Twins rotation. But, he, but, would you rather have him or Daisuke Matsuzaka, irrespective of a contract? I'd have a Jeremy Hellickson, but for me. The thing about it is, is that what the Reds have, though, is, is that they have – they could trade away almost any one of their starting pitchers. They're not going to. John, right. I don't think Johnny Cueto's going anywhere. Right. But they have this mass of of pitchers where if you said, hey, like, you know, Aaron Harang has been, you know, uh, up and down. Yeah, he's up and down. He's if he's been the same way that he's been ever since he was uh, had that uh, what uh, three or four innings on two days rest right. on his throw day in that extra yeah. inning game. But if you said they traded Aaron Harang, they I don't think that they would really miss him over the second half of the season at all. I mean, like if they did that just to kind of clear salary to make another move, that would I don't think it would really hurt him. You know, like well, I didn't realize that he lost thirty one games the previous two seasons. I mean, I know that's not all on but, him, but but even Bronson Arroyo, who's in his final year of his deal. If you said, hey, that you know the Reds are going to trade Bronson Arroyo, who would have some value, I think. Oh, yeah, no doubt. You know, I, I mean, I guy with, with playoff experience like him, and he's a really steady fourth the, starter type. The, the thing that the Reds have, and I, again, I don't know necessarily what deal they would make, but the thing that the Reds have is, is okay, Edison Volquez is starting, you know, now that the All-Star break's over, he's up. Right. And he's showing actually more velocity than he did before the TJ. Right. With the same comes and goes command. Right, exactly. But, and, the you know, ch- and the change up. Right, and the change up. The change up that's sick. You know, so you put that together and you say, okay, not that you expect him to be Edison Volquez of two thousand eight, you know, right away, but he should be a solid starter for them. He should be a contributor in the second right. half, no doubt. Okay. Well that means that you're you know, well they they rolled out three rookies right at the end of the first half of the you know, before the all star break. Right. All three of which pitched well Travis Wood took Travis a perfect Wood's game. Travis Wood's been outstanding. You know. But okay once everyone starts getting healthy, you bring Volquez in, you bring Harang back, you know, and then you've also that, – that's not counting Homer Bailey who's, right. you know, coming back. You have more starters than you have spots to put them. That's even counting – that's not even counting Sam LeCure. Yeah, or Sam LeCure or Matt Maloney who's pitched, you know, effectively. He and has two solid starts. But those guys' value is as high as it's probably ever right. been, Maloney and LeCure. Right, but what I'm, what I'm saying, though, is, is I guess – and that's not counting Rolls Chapman who may come up and help him in the pen. Forgot about him. 
you know, they're not even counting your personal fave, Jordan Smith. Right. Who's, who's actually been, been in their big league bullpen up yeah, to the city. I, I, my favorite, I picked the click up for the Reds, I think, two years ago. I think you're right. But, um, but yeah, they have a lot of depth. Now, if you said, so what are they going to do trade-wise, they, they were at least in, sniffing around on Cliff Lee because the thing that the Reds have, we talked about the pitching, but what the Reds actually have is none of their position player prospects in AAA are guys who really you can project starting for them in the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah. they got Yonder Alonso, first baseman. Well, Joey Votto's better than Yonder Alonso. Yeah, he's better than almost any first baseman. Right, he's, he's right one of now. the best first baseman in the National League. So, okay, Yonder Alonso's blocked. Todd Frazier can play multiple positions, but there's not one of them where you say, well, clearly he's going to play there because right. Scott Rowland's long-term at third base, cause at least for the next several years, and the season he's having until he's hurt, right. he, he's there. Um, left field, it's hard to say that Todd Frazier is going to play left field when Gomes is having a good year. But beyond that, Alonzo could be an option for them in left field as well. Uh, I, I'll still I know say, tried it, I still, I still don't think that he. Nothing against Yonder, but I just don't think that that's really. It's, it's unlikely. But Chris Heisey, Chris Heisey oh, yeah. hit five home runs in 55 at bat. Right. And he's a plus defensive left fielder. And by the way, that's not talking about Chris Dickerson coming off of the DL, who may have to go to AAA because pretty useful platoon player. They don't have any. You know, like it's either Lance Nix goes down, you know, you get rid of Lance Nix, or you sink Chris Dickerson down. They've got those kind of situations, so it's hard to see Frazier out there. Juan Francisco at third base, again yeah, Scott Rowland. Exactly. He could be third base. He could be first base. They don't have a spot at either. So and throw another one, Devin Mazzarocco at catcher, who's having a very good year, a very bounce back year, like guys coming Tom. back onto the radar. Their former first-round pick from, I think, 07. 2007, yep. Well, they just also this year drafted Yasmani Grandal. Haven't signed him yet, but right. when they signed well, Grandal... haven't officially signed him. Yeah, haven't officially signed him. <laughs> right. you know, that's how... You know, but that means that you, if you wanted to trade Mazzarocco, you still have your catcher of the future... You know, coming up anyway, who right. really isn't much, you know, isn't anywhere behind. Same high school, same same age, yeah. same high school draft class. So you say that's like all of their best position prospects, with the exception of, say, maybe a Yorman Rodriguez, who's a long ways away. Right. Almost all of them are in are AAA, AA guys who, if you trade them away, you say, okay, well, we have another guy we're going to play there. There's anyway. some redundancy in place with all those players, and there's some value. I mean, Yonder Alonso has some value. Well, I really thought they were a good fit on Cliff Lee because of Yonder Alonso. I'd rather have Justin Smoke. Yeah, it worked out. You know, if you had your choice of Justin Smoke or Yonder Alonso, you'd probably go Justin Smoke. And, you you know, the, the other pieces work their way around. I mean, like, you right. know, they all... I do wonder, though. I, that's why I wonder about on the other pieces. Like, would I rather have Blake Bevan than one of those? I don't know what Reds pitcher would have been offered, but, like, if Travis Wood were the option... I'd rather have you rather Alonzo have, and Travis Wood. I'd rather have Travis Wood than Blake Bevin because absolutely. you've got strike thrower from the left side absolutely. With, you know, versus strike thrower from the right side and a better history of success. Travis Absol- Wood absolutely. Travis Wood last year had an, you know, a blow-you-away yeah, type season. It's been season. two years. The last two years, Travis Wood, the guy that he is now with the cutter to go with the changeup and the fastball velocity that just keeps getting better, right. I mean, that guy's and, better than And the thing Blake that you've got to remember about that is, is you know, We'll we'll move on because I know I'll, I'll just go Reds for a long time That's here. But, okay. but Travis Wood, you know GCL Travis Wood, you saw some ninety three, ninety fours. Now I'm not saying you're going to see that again. But the point is that it's in there. But he has. It's not something where this is a guy who was an eighty six, eighty eight guy and oh he's found ninety ninety one. Right, right, right. This is a guy who at times in his career has been more than this, and now it seems like it's coming back somewhat. It's come back over the last year and a half. Now, one of the things we try to figure out before the podcast, also just in terms of prospects and the trade deadline, you know, who are the teams that are selling? Um, that selling pool seems pretty small. You do have the Nationals if they don't re-sign Adam Dunn to a trade to a, to a contract extension. And the Nationals actually have starting pitching that they could trade too. It's crazy. As sort it of, yeah. Not if value. They, if they depends on what veterans they get back and right, but but not not guys who are going to land. You know, there are more guys you you get a you get a C level prospect in A ball. With a team like the Dodgers, that you're clearly in it, you have your ownership that's a complete mess. Disaster. Now now the now the story in the LA Times today by our correspondent Bill Shaken that they might have to go up to auction. Right, because to, to, the, the, neither of the neither of the of the two owners can actually have the liquid cash. Have, to yeah, pay exactly. Their lawyer's fees. What a what a it's just a horrible situation for a franchise of that stature. It's one thing for any Major League Baseball franchise, and I don't mean to demean the Rangers, but they're the Texas Rangers. But these are the Los Angeles Dodgers. It's just embarrassing for the sport to have the Dodgers going through this. But if you're the Dodgers, you know, Craig Stammen looks pretty good. 
You know, you're like, hey, you know, how much can we get John Lennon for? Can we tell you right, these? Right. Uh, and, how much and, is a sip of John Lennon? And, the, and, uh, the, and the thing about this is, if you're the Nationals, you know, go beyond that. The Nationals want. <laughs> They have to want all these veterans, the, the placeholders that they had signed to try to get them through this year, right. who haven't pitched this year. they got to want those guys back quick. Cause yeah, it's no, like, you're right. They need, like they need Jimmy Wong, Wong and Jason, Jimmy Wong. Jason you know, Markey Can you come up and throw three good starts? And I'm, they don't have to be great. I'm just talking something where someone says, hey, we'll give you something for them. Yeah, because it's not going to happen with uh, Matt Chico or uh, Jason Markey. It's actually probably not going to happen with Craig Stammen right now either, so... I've been listening to my brother too much. He's a big stand. But the point I'm making though is, is that you, you, these are. I'm not talking. Yet. Adam Dunn is the chip they have. Right. But I'm just saying they actually are going to be in a situation soon where they have, for the first time in Nationals history, they have more guys who at least are credible names that you would propose as major league starters. Right. More than spots, you know, in the rotation. And you just, uh, you know, you do have teams out there. Obviously, everybody needs pitching. I'm thinking, you know, if Cleveland makes Jake Westbrook available. Wow, that would be that'd be I think that'd be a bidding war for Jake Westbrook. Well, let me ask, let me ask you a question. The Padres, no one, you know, like at this point we were supposed to be talking about the Padres and how they were going to be trading Adrian Gonzalez, but now instead they're buyers. They're buyers, you know. Now and I, do they have? I mean, I'll throw the question to you. What do they have, you know, to to sell? What do the Padres have to sell? That's a good question. Um, Not as much as some of these other teams we talked about. No, uh, no, they don't. But I, I still, you know, I, he didn't show well in the Futures game, but the first thing they'd have to sell would be Simone Castro. And he didn't pitch well, but, you know, to me, uh, a big-bodied starter in A with a track record of success would be their number one trade chip. Uh, he was their number two prospect entering the year, uh, but he hasn't had a great season. I think the rest of their organization's kind of gone backwards. As a you know, you just look at their Drew top Cumberland ten. They have some, yeah, some but he's value. playing not, more second base than yeah, short. Not, not, I'm not talking about Simone Castro value, but if you yeah. said who are guys in their system who they could, the problem Honestly, is also they, they don't have big. I mean, they've got a lineup wise. You know, you said that the Rays have versatility in that you can move Zobrist around. With the Padres, what you have is you have the versatility. It's like I know that part really hinders people. You know guys, but they got a lot of versatility from the standpoint of they got a lot of holes where you say, hey, you know, that guy would be an upgrade. He'd right. be an upgrade there. He'd be an upgrade Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Now, the, probably the best prospects that they have for the, guy, for the Padres to trade are the really lower-level guys. Your Reimer Lirianos, your Everett Williams from last year's draft, your Kivas Sampson. And you'd hate to trade those guys only a year in. I don't think Donovan Tate would have the kind of trade value you'd want to you, get you, for I don't your, think you'd give him up considering what right. you just had to pay for yeah, him. exactly. But those are the kind of guys who really have the most trade value for them. I mean, and I mean, maybe, even like know, Jeff Decker doesn't have the trade value right now that he would have He's bouncing had. back some, but still, I mean, he just hasn't had a big year in the Cal League, and he's not a guy that other organizations love anyway because he's just such a all-bat, no-other-tools uh, kind of guy. So, yeah, it's not. I, I don't think they're in a great situation to make a deal, and that, that might be a, a reason why I kind of expect them to fade back. You know, the Giants are an organization that – only four games out, even though they're, they're in fourth place. But they've taken a step back as a farm system this year. And the Dodgers are an organization that just still doesn't have tremendous depth because they've been hamstrung so much on the financial side. Although they haven't spent on prospects. But they have more prospects to deal than and the I'll Padres or Giants, I think. The Dodgers now have is, is that basically it's, it's that Chattanooga club. Right. You right. know, some of those guys are, UB, are sell-high guys. I mean, like Jerry Sands has had oh, yeah. an amazing season. Oh, yeah, for Jerry Sands to trade him. He doesn't have the trade value. He's having an amazing season. I don't think he has the trade value that you're talking about with these. You know, you got to convince me that he's not Ryan Streeby or uh, uh, who's it, Ryan Sheely or one of these. His name's not Ryan, number one, but <laughs> but he's he has the same right right first base corner outfield profile, which as is those a difficult guys. profile to sell guys on. But right. they do also have that double A level. Have you know that the double A team they That's promote their everyone. team. You know, you've got your you know you've got your Aaron Miller. You've got. Um, Outside of Ethan Martin, who's at high A, you pretty much got everybody. Right. They're, all They've their got top some pitching. D Gordon is there. Uh, has Aaron Miller been promoted to Chattanooga I, yet? I think he was. I thought Miller was promoted and not in joining Withrow there. Yeah, Miller's there. Uh, you know, of course you've got John Caronka. And they just yeah. brought up uh, Andrew Lambeau <laughs> off of the 50-game suspension. So right. he's there, too. I just wanted to say John Caronka. But, uh, but how yeah, old so is I mean, John Caronka? What's he doing there? Is that guy 30 years old yet? He is. He just turned 30. Happy birthday, John Caronca. Um, Speaking of, uh, we were bound, you know, kind of bounced around, but we talked about the Phillies. The Phillies have 
if the Phillies want to make a move, they a we know that Ruben we know Ruben is aggressive about a B. They uh, just talking to scouts who've seen their Clearwater and Lakewood teams. Their cup runneth over. Their cup really. We heard about it last year with their instructional league team. Did you realize Juwan James is a 21 game hitting streak oh, at Lakewood? I'm, I'm, I'm very. It's a member of my dream draft. I'm, I, I, trust it. me, I follow uh, Juwan. I mean, James. honestly, if you had to tell me who's the best defensive shortstop in the minor leagues right now in terms of tools, I'd pick Jonathan Villar at Lakewood. I mean, and, and just, the thing about it is, and, and, he's, he's, and, he's, and he's got a battle like Freddie Galvis. I was gonna say when yeah. you're talking about like he is, but okay, well. Then it's like, okay, so he's – and that he, means he's better than Galvis, who's still one of the better defensive shortstops he, in the minors. He's a better version of Galvis in that he has similar defensive tools. I think he has a little bit better defensive tools, and he has more offensive ability. And then you're talking about Trevor May. Jared Cozart's banged up a boy. Brody Colvin is really coming on strong. John Pettibone. i got a report of John Pettibone touching 93-94 with sink, basically like a baby Brody Colvin. Brody Colvin touching 97 in the seventh inning of a start. Cruising. Cruising 90-93, touching four every once in a while. Then in the seventh, it was either the seventh or eighth inning of a start, getting into trouble late, and this guy I thought he just said he just reached back, and all of a sudden, whew, 97, whew, 96. And it was just an extra gear that Brody Colvin had. A, and he knew he was pitching 90% the whole time. That's and it. Then. And that's, that is what's called uh, starter ability. That's being a starting pitcher. Being able to pitch effectively at like that 85 90%. And then when you need it, you have it. You have that extra gear to go to. We're not even talking about Anthony Ghost yet, who's not Jonathan having a great Singleton. year. We haven't even talked about Jonathan Singleton yet. We haven't even talked about Sebastian Valle. Uh, that's a farm system that's bounced back with some ferocity from the two big trades they made, the Lee trade, trading away Cliff Lee and not getting enough back, and uh, trading for Cliff Lee last year and, and Roy Halliday this year. So. Uh, and, that's not, and that's not talking about, as we said, relatively probably untouchable, Dominic Brown, who is we, our number one prospect in our midseason update. Absolutely. So. No, it's, a, it's an impressive job by their scouting and player development people. They've got raw tools, and they're starting to shape them. Guys like a Harold Garcia, who had a 37-game history at AA, was a Rule 5 guy who just left open there last the year. The fascinating question with them, though, is, is like for them to make moves, which I would say that they need to make moves. I like, think they need to make a move. But do you, so like, do you go out and get it? Like, could you go out and get a Dan Ugla with the idea? Like, I mean, I'm, this is somewhat kind of just, you know, off yeah, the wall the here. Player. But do you rent a Dan Ugla from the standpoint of, look, Chase Utley's not going to be back for a while. And when he, does come, banged up too. when he does come back, I mean, there's no guarantee that you, when you come off an injury like that, that you're going to, you know, get the all clear. Okay, you can start swinging the bat. And right. two weeks later, be Chase Utley again. Yeah, obviously the dream scenario there if you're the Phillies is, uh, can we trade Raul Abanez for anything? <laughs> Will anyone really take Raul Abanez out think. there? And I don't think they're going to find anybody. Uh, it's the Baseball America podcast with John and JJ. We're going a little long, I understand. But let's take a couple questions off our Facebook page at uh, facebook.com backslash Baseball America. Uh, JJ Declan, I can't remember pronounce his last name, asks, Mike Moustakas, Lars Anderson, Chris Carter, Grant Green. Do you expect all to be impact bats at the major league level, and how do you rank them in terms of offensive potential in the majors? JJ, can I speak for you that I think that we both think Mike Moustak is the best offensive player of that yeah. quartet? Yeah, no, I'd say, like, you, you, I would say that, yeah. I mean, now, Grant Green, you put a different – I mean, when you talk about Grant Green – He was impressive with the Futures game you, in terms of his a, defense. It's short there's the a different offense. expectation to him, like, you know, offensive shortstop. I'm not going to ask him to do the same thing as – for instance, Lars Anderson as a, a first baseman. And those guys would have roomed together at Southern Cal if, they'd, uh, if uh, Moustakas had come. Green came, went there. His, 2007 was his freshman year when Moustakas was drafted, and Green had showed Moustakas around campus. He'd been his host, went on his recruiting trip that year, and they would have roomed together if Moustakas had gone to school. Obviously a huge bounce-back year for Moustakas. Um, just, I mean, massive power. Yeah. And we hear, you know, you hear differing things about his defense, but we've heard – most Better of the, things we've heard. Most of the critiques on his defense are not of his now defense. It's They're of his future. They look defense. at his body. That's it. They look at his they body. They look at his body, and you look at the body, and it's a thick body, and so people go, "I don't know, you know, how that's going to play down the road." Because especially, it's a thick body, and he's not a six foot five thick body. Yeah, which he's five eleven. He's uh, that five eleven listing is very accurate. I was looking down at him in the locker room the other day. You know, but so you see that, but at the same time, and he does have. It's a, you know, like, when you see splits, it's a fascinating split. He is having, he just got promoted to AAA. He did have an insane slug, like 300 points better right at, at home, home than yeah. road. But the thing about it is, is that 
to have a season like he's having, it's a very nice bounce back from what was the exact opposite last year where he was a solid player on the road, awful at home. He got right. really crushed by a very difficult park in, in, uh, in Wilmington. But you look at him and I'd say yes. I mean, of those four, for one, the pedigree is the best of the four. Right. Yeah. You know, and I then agree. the performance has been the best of the four. I agree. If you put those two together, you know, the scouting has always been that this guy's a, a, an uh, elite hitter, such an elite power elite hitter. Elite power guy for elite sure. Elite power guy. And then you throw into it that he's having the you know, he's producing at the best level of the four. Well, I think you've got to put him one. Two, I'd say probably if you're talking just offense, yeah. I'd say you probably, you know, Chris, Chris Carter's going to be. Chris gonna, Carter's going to be what you think he is. He's going to have his strikeouts, but the guy's going to hit home runs. I, I don't think there's a huge question that he's going to hit home runs. Is he going to be Chris Carter? Uh, is Chris Carter is he going to be Chris Davis with the Rangers? He might be that guy. He might be that guy who's just so streaky where he gets hot and hits a lot of home runs. Then, you know, needs off to, as Daffy Duck said, uh, as Elmer Fudd said to Daffy Duck, more briefing, more briefing. Well, the, the one I think right now you have to have the biggest questions about, though, is, is that with Lars Anderson, yeah. you know, He's clearly taken a couple of steps back from the standpoint of you're not, you know, when you talk to you the Eastern League, and guys sometimes see it, they don't see what they used to see. Yeah. But more than that, like, you have to produce at some point. I mean, he's not produced now for a season and a half, essentially. Right. I mean, he had, he had his nice start this year at Portland, which was good to see. But he that gets that wiped level. away by what he's right. done. I mean, it's a 723 ops in AAA right now for a 22-year-old. It's not great. It's not you don't, terrible. You don't give up on him by any stretch. I just stretch. think that you've lowered the ceiling on him. We had him at number 17 in our top 100 a couple of years ago going into 09. That was overheated. Because if you're going to be in that top 20, that means you're going to be a – first baseman especially. Right, that means you're, we're thinking you're going to be a future all-star. Uh, and I just don't think you can put that kind of projection on Lars Anderson. I think he can be a solid regular. It might be more of a second division regular, though, now than a first division regular. It might be kind of the guy who, while he's cheap – He's worthwhile, but when he starts to get expensive, and he starts tra- changing and, teams and every other year. Is, is at 22, we could be re- you know he could be a guy who has a bounce back year, and a year we go a year from now, not that we say hey he's back to where he was when he was the 17th prospect in the game, right? But you do say okay he's raised his his ceiling a little bit again, but you do he's at a high enough level that you've you've got to see some production to go with it. No doubt, and uh, yeah, I don't think he belongs. In that group of, in terms of prospects, as Mustakas, uh, Carter, and Green. And I, to me, Mustakas is at one level, Green's at another level, Carter, and then Lars Anderson's a decent and amount at below level. He's at that second level, be- largely because because the defense. Right, if he's got a chance, I know there are mixed reviews on him playing shortstop. Uh, my quick look at him the other day in the Futures game, I was impressed with him. Uh, we also have Chris Chris Mitch asking on our Facebook page. Uh, Torres looked awful small for a starting pitcher in the Futures game. Can he stay as a starter or the workload, break him down, and move him to the bullpen? I just talked to a scout last week. We saw him in the Texas League or Southern League, whichever one it was. Southern and, yeah. Uh, yeah, Southern League. And he actually was really impressed with his body because of the lower half is thick, strong, in a good way. And said so that Torres really holds his stuff. He holds his velocity. He holds his movement deep in the games. His issue with him was just command. He thought our scouting report and the uh, – Basically, I just read him our report out of the prospect handbook. He goes, yeah, that's what I saw, um, which was uh, that's always flattering that's always when we get that. So that's it's tremendous. Hear, yeah. But basically, uh, Bill Ballou, who writes the Rays for us and has for years, just nailed it with Alex Torres. So yet another Rays prospect. But so I think say, he is. Can, like can a, he be starter? Well, one thing, can he be? The he can be is, for is another that, organization, but yeah. not, uh, maybe I mean, not like, for look, Tampa. Like when we talk about when we talk about Hellickson, you've got to throw another guy in there if you're talking about a guy who, who is potentially – could help them out if it wasn't for the fact that they have so much pitching. Jake McGee, yeah, is you know is the left, a the left-handed Rich Harden, you know, is a power arm. Now, yeah, can he stay healthy? But at the same time, this actually may speed his process eventually. From the standpoint of, if you're the Rays, you don't necessarily have to keep stretching him out as a starter long term because where's the spot for him to pitch? Yeah, absolutely. Where you may just say, you know what, let's just take your your you know your plus stuff, put it in the pen. Yeah, and see the, what you can do. a couple of the scouts I've talked to about him really are impressed by that he's showing touch and feel despite the fact that, you know, he's a guy who's had Tommy John surgery. He's more of a power guy. But the breaking ball's still there. The changeup has come along, and he's throwing consistent strikes from 90-95 from the left side. I mean, that guy for some organizations, like if that's the Diamondbacks, that's their number one prospect. You'd be like, oh, Jared Parker. If Jared Parker came back as strong as 
uh, Jake McGee has, you'd be, you'd be people would just be overjoyed if you're a Diamondbacks fan. That just made me think of uh, I was talking to a scout. Another guy to watch for as far as a guy who who could down the road make an impact. Uh, Jordan Walden. Now oh, he's good moved idea. To the pen. You know, now he's moved to the pen. Uh, got you know heard a report on him that he was 98 to 100, 101 recently. That's believable. With it's, it's in life. there. It's definitely in there. You put that. I mean, if you if you put that together, that's a uh, you know uh, a, a pretty uh, a pretty interesting package. And for you know as a as a reliever to come that's up, a, that's a team, frankly, that needs and you know, has needs at the big league level. Uh, I think the Angels are a team that has some significant needs at the major league level. And obviously, they want to contend. Are they going to be willing to give up anything? And they've had some bounce back in their farm system, and, and yeah, there's I mean, no way they're trading Mike Trout. Mike Trout, no. Hey, Let's you know before that's we wrap this up. That's a good way to wrap it. Dominic Brown was our number one prospect on the midseason update. I think you would agree with me in saying if you said who's the highest ceiling prospect with a likelihood of reaching that. I think it'd be hard to put Trout over Brown even on high ceiling just because you know you, uh, you'd want to see a little more power and Dominic Brown is showing that power. When you talk about ceiling, you know, they're both really five tool guys. Mike Brown, Mike Trout's shown good power, but he hasn't shown like. 20 yeah, home runs over a full season at a high level yeah, like Dominic I'll, Brown. But I'll say this, though. He's also – Dominic Brown at Mike Trout's age wasn't either. No, he wasn't. And, no, and no you look doubt. at the frame. You look at the frame, the only question Mike is – Mike Trout same. is ridiculously strong. I mean, he's just – he's a beast physically. Mike Trout when is, I told him that I got a Brian Urlacher comp on him physically from a scout, he was like, yeah, I've heard that before. You know, it was, he was Trout, really nonplussed. There aren't many baseball prospects like – that when you talk, start talking to say they have a you know a football type athleticism, usually when you talk about that like a, for, a former football player, it's almost it's, it's a wide, but you know, but it's it, it's a wide receiver cornerback type. Usually that's the guy who gets signed yeah. as you know it's either pitchers or it's that wide receiver cornerback type who right. gets signed you know. But he was a quarterback just, in high school. He didn't even but, play any. But if you there. said Mike Trout too bad. was going to play college you know college football and you said that down the you know like project him out to the NFL. He's not. A, he's not a wide receiver or cornerback. Probably he's going to end up being too big for that. He's probably. basically built like a running back. Is what he's yeah. built like. It's six one two fifteen. He's built like a running back. And, and this he, is. Yeah, remember, and he's this a freight train running. As a teenager. And it's solid. Yeah. I mean, well, the thing is, I think he's physically. It's not like he's going to get any bigger. I don't think he's going to get any bigger. I don't think he's going to get taller, but I, he's not, pretty. Ma- a whole I'm, lot of guys. I'm not saying he's maxed out, but he's pretty thick. No, I'm not saying he's not. I'm not saying he's not pretty thick, but there are still. It's just even with those guys, it's hard to find a whole lot of those guys who don't end up adding more weight as they go from 18 to 24. Yeah, but it would be a bad thing for him if he added more weight because to me, he's so explosive as he is right now. Three eight eight. I don't think he needs to get any stronger. And yeah, we're talking about a guy who's running sub three nine from the right side. That's a true 80 runner. I mean, he is an explosive 80 runner, and he got the balls with such ease in center field. He played a pure center field. But all that said, the thing I like about Dominic Brown is that, you know, he controls the strike zone just as well. I mean, Mike, Mike Trout obviously does too. But it's, I just think you have to give credit where credit is due. Even, and I, I think his ceiling is pretty lofty. Right. So, like, chances of reaching it, the guy who's doing it in AAA yeah. is – has a more chance right, of doing it than Dominic Mike Trout. But Dominic, but, but, but Mike Brown's tools are the best in the minor leagues. I don't think there's a doubt about that. Right. And, and he showed it at the Futures game. Right. And Dominic Brown now, you know, is... When's the last time a low-A guy got four bats in a Futures game? I think he had four bats. And that, that, and that, they were that, all, double, that double was a thing of beauty. That was the best thing of the game. I mean, the best play of the game before that, you could, you know, you could argue what it was. I loved Mike Moustakis's and that hard grounder that he went to his left and made a spun and made an accurate, just tremendous he throw. The 70. Almost, he showed the seventy and almost started a double play on what should have been a double. Um, that was just that was a big league play. But everything else that happened in the game to that point, you know, Hank Congress home run, which was a great feel good moment. Eric Hosmer four for five. Although yeah, none of them. No, it was a quiet four for five. Yeah, but he had a he had a really nice game. Yeah. He was impressive, good BP. But everything else went out the window as far as most impressive part of the game when Mike Trout. Nice, solid line drive single to center field and just willed it and sped it into a double. That was just breathtaking. It really was phenomenal. It was the kind of play, it was everything that when when you, when they're, when selecting, a, you know, helping select, yeah. you know, the Futures game roster, it was everything that you hoped to see in the Futures that's game. It. Yeah, that's it. Because that was everything that you could say of, wow, that was exactly, you know, you're seeing the glimpse when, you know, when Mike Trout's a big leaguer down the road, he won't. He won't be doing that play better than that. That's right. You're Pretty seeing the tools in action 
pretty hard to believe that um, that guy lasted 25 spots in last year's uh, draft, yeah. and and that's I guess that's a big part of what happens when uh, you know when you're up north and it's just harder to scout. Um, I, I just think it's kind of funny. It's going to be Randall Grychuk because it'll be the answer to a trivia question one day. Who's the guy even the Angels passed on? Yeah, but you uh, know pass what? Pass still give, give Eddie Bain credit because you know to get him late in the first round and a year later he's sitting here as the number two prospect in the game is and, no and doubt. even once you throw the draftees in, he's I mean he's going to be, gonna be in the top five. There's no doubt. And by the way, the thing I'll say to maybe to wrap this up. Also, when you look at it, he gets promoted to Rancho Cucamonga. Yeah. If you're talking about looking ahead to minor league player of the year, that's probably going to end up really helping, helping him. Because oh, no doubt. He, gets, he does it at two levels. He does it as a teenager in the high A, which will be a, he'll be one of the youngest players in the league for one. Yeah. Because he's not a teenager, uh, 18-year-old. Right. Like, no, you're right. 18-year-old in, in high A. But he does that. What he did in the Midwest League, you know, if, no, you, he just destroyed do the, it. if you do the same thing, You'll actually have better numbers in Rancho. Yeah, oh, no doubt, no doubt. Dominic Brown's got a 999 OPS, and it's 973 for Trout. If I had to pick a minor league player of the year right now, I'd pick Dominic Brown. But the the polls are very much still open. Right, and the, the Trout. The thing with Trout, uh, you know, if I was going to argue Trout, how many steals does Trout have now? He has 44. He leads the. He does lead the minor leagues with 44. 44, 44 and 53 attempts. While being, you know. It's, it, and it's, it's also good. it's also six home runs versus nineteen. No, I know it's you can argue either way. I'd probably argue Trout right now, considering what how hard it is for a teenager to do that in the Midwest League. But it is. It's also very hard for a twenty-two year old to do it in even double A, but also triple A. The, but the fact that Brown's doing it again in triple A is it's going to be a debate. It's going to go right down to the wire. And you have to remember Florida. No, that's a that joke's ten years old. Can I still make that joke? Yeah, you still. It's a. And, and you have to you have to consider your audience, and I know that uh, your your political junkiness is uh, even probably higher than mine. So we can make that joke. Great long podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it. We like talking prospects at Baseball America, and uh, obviously we'll try to do it again next week. And as the trade deadline approaches, I'm sure we'll have even more of these kind of uh, prospects for big leaguers. And who would you trade uh, fodder for the next podcast? Uh, you can send those comments to us or thoughts or questions at podcast at baseballamerica.com. And we'll be back next week on the Baseball America podcast. For J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. So long, everybody. What's spring like in Park City, Utah? Imagine waking up on a bluebird day to ski the greatest snow on earth at two world-class resorts, Park City Mountain and Deer Valley. Exploring miles of wide-open spaces by snowshoe or cross-country skis. Wandering our historic Main Street with its opera ski scene and award-winning restaurants. When you love it like we love it, Park City, Utah will always be winter's favorite town. Join the experience at visitparkcity.com.